minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Packaday Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things green and gold. My name is Mike Wellman, and joining me on this Sunday is Jimmy Christensen and Gage Bridgeford. And, guys, it's uh, it's a new week. we got some defensive players to talk about. But first, we'll go with Jimmy first. How are you guys doing? Pretty good, man. Just uh, It's super hot in Milwaukee right now, so I'm just trying to enjoy the AC. That's the thing. I have mine shut off, so we don't have any background noise up here in Middle Wisconsin. It's pretty warm as well. How about you, Gage? Uh, pretty warm here as well. Uh, keeping busy, keep uh, trying to keep cool and get out and be productive, but that's not happening a whole lot here of late. Yeah, we I, I think we definitely know the feeling with summer now coming to a full head in the middle of July. But as we kind of teased earlier for today's podcast topic, last week they talk, the guys talked about the top ten lists on the offensive side. We have the lists for the defensive side. We're going to break those down, take a look at who fits where where you might see some Packers pop up, whether they're too low, too high, just right, and maybe see if the media and everyone got stuff right. So we'll just jump right in. We'll start with the interior defensive line. And I, I know, Gage, you did a lot of work on this one, but we'll just jump right in. Uh, the number one defensive lineman, Aaron Donald. I think there's really no debate there. He's arguably the best all-around football player in the NFL. Is there is there any options other than Aaron Donald? Um, he was the only guy, uh, regardless of all positions on this ESPN like voting thing, he was the only guy at any position to receive only number one votes. And one NFC scout called him the best player in football. So when I saw that he was number one, I had no surprise. Yeah, I would... I would have never read another ESPN thing if he wasn't number one. Yeah, he's he is really something else. He's already a, he's gonna be a Hall of Famer, no doubt, and he's definitely become the best defensive lineman for the past half decade. Number two, the one of the richest men in football now, Chris Jones of the Kansas City Chiefs. He comes in at number two, and two and three could be a little bit debated because Fletcher Cox of the Eagles was number three. Uh, what do you guys think of those two guys? Are they in the right spot? Could you flip them? Uh, and if you were a GM, which one would you rather take? I think, and we'll probably get this one, uh, Gage already mentioned this when you talked about Frank Clark, but Jones just coming off a Super Bowl win, I think it's easy to kind of give him a nod on this list. I don't know, I'd, I'd take either one, honestly, at this point, but I'd probably just go with Fletcher Cox. Uh, me personally, I would go, I like the ranking of Chris Jones over Fletcher Cox. One big reason, he's three years younger. He's 26 uh, versus Fletcher Cox's uh, 29. Um, you have the aspect of Chris Jones is a better all-around is a better pass rusher. Fletcher Cox may be a better all-around player, especially when um, like spearheading that run game, like that run game. But he only had three and a half sacks last year, versus uh, Jones has had 24 and a half sacks over the last two seasons. Uh, he had a stretch of like 16 games where he registered a sack every game. He is the heart of that like front, like that defensive front in Kansas City, and when he's going he can wreck a game plan. So I'm okay with it. I like it. If I'm building around one of those two guys, I'm taking Chris Jones nine times out of ten. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that one, Gage. I think Fletcher Cox might be the more well-rounded player, but the in, the dominant impact that Jones can make is is out of this world. And he and he's when he got, I remember their question about him when he got drafted, and he has allayed all of those with how good he's been. Well, the next three, from the Colts to Forrest Buckner was at four, Wisconsin's own J.J. Watt at 5, and Cam Hayward 
at six, and so we have a, a young guy still rising, a couple guys who have been around the league a while, and of course J.J. Watt, who's been kind of injured. Uh, what do you guys think of those three? Personally, I would probably have Cam Hayward at four, but what do you guys think? Uh, I personally think Buckner is kind of riding that Chris Jones and then Frank Clark, like we talked about before, this was he's riding a recent wave of success. He's been good for the past uh, two seasons. like He's been really good, but I don't know if I would put him over more established guys that are behind him on this list. Uh, I also think that he was in a perfect situation last year between Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead, who had a career year, and uh, D. Ford, who's out there, and Solomon Thomas, who has struggled for being the third overall pick, but he's still a, he was in the perfect situation. If he could replicate the numbers that he put up last year in Indy, I I would definitely put him in at number four. I have, would have no problem. But right now, I just I would be more comfortable with guys that I know what I'm going to get out of them, like J.J. Watt last year. Even when he was like dealing with injuries, the guy was still still a freak he had he came back from that injury what was it a torn pec that he suffered in the middle of the year or something like that and they said he was done for the year came back for the playoffs and he was a dominant force in the playoffs because he's just that good when he's healthy he's simply that good so i i would probably put jj then cam hayward and then um buckner but that's just nitpicking yeah i'm with you too uh Interesting enough, I, I interviewed Elton Jenkins this summer, uh, part of my interview series, and I asked him who his hardest person to go against all season was. He actually picked a force Buckner. Uh, he said just his body type is different than everyone else. He's so lanky and long that it was hard to get control of him. But I was kind of excited to see him go to the AFC, but then I've realized we play the Colts, so it doesn't really matter because we have to see him anyways. But I know you mentioned this is going to be a big year for him. He's he's leaving the he left the 49ers. It's going to if he can like you said reproduce those stats he did, then it shows that it didn't really matter his supporting cast, he's still dominant. But I think until that happens, you have to put him behind Watt and uh, Hayward. But I guess I guess my question to you is for Watt, he was dominant when he came back, but how much do you play like the first word on his thing is durability. Like he's not very durable. Like do you think that should play into the rankings at all? I think that that's somewhat baked in. If you're if we're being real here, like I think that if you knew you were going to get 16 games out of J.J. Watt, if you're going to get 16 games out of every player on this list, I think he would have been number two. Like I think it, it like if you like that is the only reason that he is not ranked as the number two player on this list, in my opinion, is just because of his durability thing. His highest ranking was third lowest ranking of nine. And I think that his durability is caked into his ranking right now. I think that when he's fully healthy, he's still one of the best defensive players that we've ever seen and probably the best defensive player i've seen in my lifetime well i don't know okay. how, i don't know how old you are gage but there was that guy named reggie who i'm 25 so reggie i don't have any memory of reggie unfortunately there's also the guy who'd be ahead of him aaron donald but i guess if you take him out of it like i could i could agree with you but well so if you compare jj watt's peak streak to aaron donald's peak streak jj's was better but i think that part of the problem is aaron donald gets like double team so much and he exclusively rushes from the inside versus JJ's had opportunities to rush from the edge. So I think that that's part of the reason that there's less like stat production on Donald's side, but I would just, I they're okay. You're, you're splitting hairs here. Yes. They're both outstanding players. And I think that JJ is just the only reason he's, he's a three time defensive player of the year. He's been outstanding. I, you can take either one. You're not going to, I'm not going to fight you on either player here. Honestly, Fair enough. So as we continue with the list, the next three, seven, eight, and nine, 
And Gage, you talked about Eric Armstead earlier. He comes in at number seven after his career year and his new contract. Akeem Hicks in Chicago comes in at number eight, and Grady Jarrett of the Falcons comes in number nine. We're going to talk a lot about number ten in a couple minutes, so we'll get those three first. Uh, and Jimmy, we'll go to you first. Where do you see these three guys? Because much like we talked about with Buckner, I personally think Armstead's a little high because it is he did come off a career year, and we'll see if he can keep it up without Buckner next to him. Yeah, and that's the thing that's tough with these guys is we're coming off of – I know Buckner's been pretty productive since he's been in the NFL, but even with Armstead now, it's like they made it to the Super Bowl. They had productive years, but now he's also losing a person next to him next season, and I just feel like they have to put it together a little bit longer before you put them this high on the list. But I don't know. I could be wrong on that. And I guess my question that I want to talk about towards the end, too, is if you think the 49ers made the right choice picking Armstead over Buckner. Um, so quick, it's a quick thing about Armstead. He had 10 sacks last season. Definitely think he's ranked way too high. Like, I think he's ranked way too high. I think that he was in a perfect spot last year, and that's why he performed so well. And I think there's that were left off that I think should have been above him. But I think that they made the right choice because their system set up to where there's enough around him and they know they're going to have to pay. I understand Nick Bosa's like, but they're going to try and get that extension done. They can't. Like, so they're going to try and start extending him. Uh, Buckner was going to cost a lot of money, as we saw. He's got like a five-year deal for $105 million. He got paid, dead, his prime. He could have another year like that, but there was nothing in his first four seasons he was going to do that. His previous career high in three. He had 10 last year. I just... I don't know if I would have put him nearly that high, so I I would be okay with bumping him down quite a few spots. With with seasons like that, it just after the whole Nick Perry thing, it just makes me so nervous to pay people after their career years, just because, especially like obviously he's in a totally different situation. The D line's incredible in the uh, in San Francisco, but just paying someone so much after just one season of uh, game double digit sacks, hopefully it screws the 49ers. So yeah, fingers crossed there. Yeah, well, absolutely. And then we'll just jump right into number 10, because that is Kenny Clark. I think you could make a case for him as high as 7, because uh, like, a guy young in his prime, he's gotten better every year. He can play a lot of snaps. I'm glad he's in the top 10, but I still think he is perennially underrated. And I think he's a guy where if he has another year like this and he's going to get Chris Jones money, I think we're going to see him climbing this list very, very quickly with how talented he naturally is. I think the problem for Kenny is just always going to be the system that he plays in. Like Chris Jones, uh, Aaron Donald, Grady Jarrett, all these other guys are given the opportunity to go rush the passer, and he's not really given that opportunity, as evidenced by his own. He's like got a career high of six sacks. He's only ever had like nine quarterback hits is a, is a career high for him. And... He's just he's not set up in the same way to rack up the same numbers, and I think that's why he's always so underrated. Everyone's like, oh, well, he didn't put up 15 sacks this season. He didn't put up 10 sacks or whatever. He didn't play on a dominant defense like the 49ers or the Texans, which are actually weren't actually that good on defense last year, but they get credit for being good. So I think that's why he's put down so far. Like Akeem Hicks was two spots in front of him. Grady Jarrett was a spot in front of him. And I, I'm not going to complain about those. Like Grady Jarrett's been really good for the past few years. Akeem Hicks is similar to Clark in that they're both. I think they don't get as much pub as they should. But the fact that Kenny Clark is 24, he's far and away the youngest guy on this list. Like the closest in age to him is two years older than him, and Chris Jones and uh, and DeForest Buckner. So 
I think that Green Bay has got a rising star on defense, and they and I think he, he's going to have no problem replicating his production this year. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. And I'm looking at PFF right now for the highest graded interior lineman for the first three seasons. It goes Donald, J.J. Watt, Geno Atkins, Chris Jones, who we already talked about, and then Kenny Clark. So he's in a really great group there. Like he's shown his first three years, he's been incredible in the NFL and. It's only, I, like you said, he's not putting up the numbers as other players, but he's doing his job. He's making plays from the inside. He's even six sacks as, as an interior lineman still pretty impressive, especially when you it might not be your first thing to be going to. You know, I talked to him. I talked to him this summer. I got lucky and was able to connect. And he said part of his success in the middle is just not falling under the under the stigma of like as an interior lineman or nose tackle. Like your job's just to stall the line or close gaps like he wants to be a dynamic and impactful player and we've seen that in his first few years with the Packers and hopefully we see it for a few more after he gets a big extension after this year absolutely I remember when he was when he was drafted and not many people had him as a first round pick but he came in so young and and he's he's just like you said he's just gotten better and better and better and he's going to be compensated handsomely for it over the next probably couple of months yeah I think they're going to be working on that once he arrives in Green Bay for camp but with the other alignment, just a couple honorable mentions I want to bring up that I think are interesting, and because they're older guys, they've been around for a long time, and they've quietly had very, very good careers in Calais Campbell and Geno Atkins. And we will talk. We all talked that we think Eric Armstead probably shouldn't be on here. Which one of those two guys would you put on in place of him, Campbell or Atkins? Campbell for me. I see. I was going to go Atkins just for the fact of I, he's always productive, and he's on a. I don't know. I just feel bad for the players who are dominant, but they're on just terrible team so you know like who else are you going to worry about on that defensive line you know like Atkins is the one that offensive linemen always and offensive coordinators are worrying about when you uh face the Bengals wait who's the, who, who's that other guy who they have one other lineman who's quietly been really good oh uh Carlos Dunlap yes yeah Dunlap who's he's consistently good like he he was another one of those guys that was mentioned in that thing I was talking to you guys about earlier about guys that were mentioned as underrated edge rushers Carlos Dunlap, and he because he's the he's the one that knocks down like ten passes a game it seems because he's always got his hands up. Oh yeah. But now that they have DJ Reader next to Geno Atkins, that could be really really exciting to watch. Um, but yeah, I would put Campbell. Uh, I love his size. Like he is the reason that Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner really have roles in this league because he was that original just way too damn big to be in the league guy. And like he's just so big, so strong. Um, you can't block him one on one. He's just he, him in Baltimore this year is just going to be scared. That front just blitzes so much. He's going to get free runs on the quarterback. So I'm excited to watch him play for a good team this year. Uh, but yeah, Cam- it'd be Campbell for me. Uh, but I can understand putting Geno in there. Geno's been just consistent throughout his career, constantly putting up good stats, playing well for a bad team. So. I wouldn't fight you on either one. Just Campbell would be my preference. Yeah, I think a guy like Geno Atkins could be someone Kenny Clark can model after a little bit. Just constantly just going upfield and and getting into the backfield because Atkins has been exceptional at that. He's been sneaky athletic his entire time in Cincinnati. So now let's move on to the edge rushers. And spoiler alert, Zedaria Smith is not in the top ten, and we're going to have a lot of gnashing of teeth over that one, and we'll get to it. Uh, We'll start with their top three. And Khalil Mack comes in at number one, Chandler Jones at number two, the two all dec or two of the all decade players, and then Nick Bosa comes in at number three. Jimmy, we'll go to you first. 
how do you think those top three shape out? Um, I agree with the players. I personally, I really like Chandler Jones. Uh, it might be just my little bias against Khalil Mack, just because I'm salty we didn't get him and he's a bear. But I just feel like Chandler, ever since he left the Patriots, and again, he's on a bad team, so he doesn't get as much buzz, but led the NFL in sacks last year, was just a dominant force. And uh, he's just he's been consistent every year. So I, I I would have a preference for Chandler Jones, but I like all three of these players to be in the spots they are. Yeah, I'm with you. I, th- I think Jones should be number one as well. But Gage, what do you think? I think they're both outstanding players. I'll get to Nick Bosa in a minute, but Chandler Jones and Khalil Mack are both just they're freak players. Chandler Jones is consistently passed over. Like I don't even know that he got a vote last year for defensive player of the year, despite having like 20 sacks or whatever it was. He's outstanding. He's averaged 14 and a half sacks since 2015, which is great. He left new England and was successful, which is not something that we always see. So I love seeing that he can show that it's not just scheme specific. He's just a really good player. Khalil Mack. Yes. It sucks. that green Bay didn't get him, but I love watching this guy play. Like he is, just watching him bully people, he's got he can win with power, he can win with speed, he can win any way you want. And on a defensive team that has a lot of other good pieces on it, he just I don't like he succeeded in Oakland where there was no other defense, and he succeeded in Chicago where there's where there is defensive pieces. So I'm not gonna like you can split hairs over them all day long, but. If you like, if this list had come out and Chandler Jones was one and Khalil Mack was two, I wasn't gonna fight it. I think that they are firmly one and two, and you can pick and choose whichever one you like. Also, Nick Bosa should not be third. This dude has one season of production, and he was in an absolutely juiced defensive line room. Von Miller, who was four, should definitely have been above him. Von has been like has been great since he entered the NFL, and I just. Like, he only had eight sacks last year, but Bradley Chubb was out after, like, week two. I just, I don't see how you can put Nick Bosa there after just one season of production, and you're just hoping that he does it again. Kind of like we talked about earlier with Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner. If he does it again, great, go ahead, put him third. But I don't know that he's going to do that again next year. I don't. You think there's some Super Bowl glow there? I, I do. I think that there is a lot of bias towards San Francisco, and we'll talk about another player that was in the Super Bowl who got ranked really highly. I think that he got viewed really highly. He played really well last year. Don't get don't don't get that confused. He smoked. He he played really well against everybody all year long. It was great. But I can't I can't put him as the third best edge rusher in the NFL when I have one season of production, when he was in the perfect scenario last year. I need to see him, now that DeForest Buckner, the All-Pro, is gone, let me go see Joey or Nick Bosa go and smoke everybody again. Let me see him do it again now that everyone's going to know what he's doing. If he can do it again, go for it. Third, all day. But until then, I'm not putting him above guys that I know are All-Pros and Pro Bowlers and Super Bowl MVPs. Yeah, no, that's definitely fair. No, I, you convinced me. I, I, Vaughn should definitely be three. I'm with you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you as well. I actually would have considered Vaughn at two, even, because I, I do have some concerns about Mac after what he, last year seemed like there's times where he just didn't care. But I do think he, as good as he is, he, he's still going to be great going forward. But And I agree with you guys both. Nick Bosa shouldn't be third yet. Maybe in a year or two, but not yet. So the next few guys, Vaughn Miller, like we said, comes in at four. $100 million man, Miles Garrett, comes in at number five. Now that he's eligible to play again, 
and Joey Bosa at number six with TJ Watt at seven. And stop talking about the draft Packers fans. It's over. But uh, so with these four guys, what we've talked about Vaughn. What are you guys' thoughts on Garrett Bosa and TJ and where older Bosa and TJ and where they sit? I really like Garrett. Um, he finished with 10 sacks before he had his uh, his crazy moment on the field. But he's just he's a freak athlete. He's super talented. I think we've only he's only scratched the surface. He's 24 years old. I think it's only going to go up from here. He's going to have a crazy. Did he? I might have missed it, but I know they were in talks with him for an extension. Did he get that yet? He did. Yes. Okay, so he's going to have $100 million guaranteed. Yeah, he's going to have crazy money, and hopefully that doesn't – I always get nervous after they get paid so much because it's either it's going to motivate guys more or they start slowly going down because they don't have that money motivation. But I, this guy is – he's incredible. So I'm good with Garrett being at five. Uh, Joey Bosa, too, he's – they're, they're really productive. This list, honestly, is just so stacked. I think out of all of them, this is the most impressive list. I really don't have too many uh, complaints with the, the next few we talked about. A quick mention about Miles Garrett. So he is, his top vote, highest ranking was 1. His lowest ranking was 10. And I don't think that they're wrong. He's 24 years old, and if he didn't have that issue with the helmet last year, I think that he probably would have been third on this list. With the pace that he was on... I think that he would have easily outclassed Nick Bosa, and I think that he would have gotten votes over Miller just due to the fact that Miller only had eight sacks, and he's on the older side. Garrett is, a, like you said, a freak athlete. Like, this dude, you shouldn't be his size and move the way that he does. He gets a little washed out by, like, physical tackles, but I also think that his speed just makes him so hard to defend at times. I can understand having the, the worry that he's going to like drop off because he got paid, but I think that this guy is going to come out with something to prove this year, and thus I don't envy the tackles that have to face him at the beginning of the year because with because like if he, he catches anybody that is either a rookie or a young guy or in a new situation, I think that he's going to have his way with them for an afternoon. Do you think he's kind of what people were hoping and expected Jadavion Clowney to be coming out of college? Yes and no. Clowney, I think, was more of a combination of power with speed versus Garrett, I think, is more of a combination of speed with power. Like, he's mm. he's like the same – he's like the same like the same animal just kind of flipped almost. Yeah. Like, Garrett wins more with speed and Clowney wins more with power. So I think that Garrett has been what you want Clowney to be. Clowney, I think the problem with him is he was so high. They had yeah. so much time to look at Clowney, and then he's struggled with injury else, and it's just continually to no- continues to knock him down. So, I think yeah, I think Garrett has been what people were hoping Clowney would be, but he's been better than I think anybody actually thought Clowney would like peak at. Mm. Okay. And also, so Joey Bosa, like, like you said, this is a loaded list. Um, he's Really, he he is, unlike Nick, like, I think Nick wins on a lot of athleticism and just being better than people he goes up against are, like, fast versus I think Joey's a better technician, which I really love. Um, I love technical players because it gives me a safe floor, which is um, something I always look for. Like, if I'm playing fantasy football and I write about fantasy football, I want guys with a safe, super high ceiling that may never reach it. And Joey is that kind of guy, whereas Nick might flame out because his like, athleticism might dwindle. Joey's going to be just technically working over people for years. And also, TJ Watt being seven seems kind of low to me, but whatever. It's crazy with Watt. He's just looking at some of the stuff they're saying. Just He won on 27.7% of his pass rushes, which was the most out of anyone on this list. 
Uh, and then even just thinking too, like he played tight end in college. So this isn't even his natural position and still just the production he's having at the highest level with this. Um, if, don't get me wrong or correct me if I'm wrong. He only had one year on defense in college, right? Two, Two years on defense. But only one is a start. But one is a starter because he, he had knee injuries. and then Yeah. Knee. So it's just, I don't know. What this guy can do is impressive. And like, I know you said the get over the draft, but I still get really butthurt when I look at it sometimes. That's fair. Ho- hopefully Kevin King can have another big year and stay in Green Bay for a long time. And we can slowly get the taste out but uh moving on number eight we debated this a lot before we started recording and and we talked a couple times about super bowl bias and whether having being in the super bowl this past year influences the rankings and that's frank clark uh, and, and clark clark had a good year he he did have a good year for kansas city and he played solidly in the playoffs i just don't understand him at number eight over guys like cam jordan who comes in at number nine demarcus lawrence at 10 or on the honorable mentions list daniel hunter and zadarius smith like uh, I I I like Clark. I think he's a good player, but I think those guys are more cons, especially Jordan and Hunter are more consistent, um, and more can more polished than what Clark can do. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think you kind of hit it all there. It's I we've already said it multiple times. It's that Kansas. It's that Super Bowl glow. They he's productive, but I don't know. Daniel Hunter, I think definitely deserves to be on this list. As much as that pains me to say, I think he's someone that should have taken his spot. Looking at his playoff production and talking about the Super Bowl glow, so in three games he had five sacks and he had seven quarterback hits and five tackles for loss. During the regular season, he had eight sacks in 14 games. He had 14 quarterback hits, 12 tackles for loss. So in literally like a fifth of the games, he had nearly just slightly less sack production and then half the tackles for lost, and then half the quarterback hits. In the playoffs, he was a dominant force against in all three games. Granted, the Super Bowl was mostly the offensive side of the ball. The defense still had to get the job done, and Frank Clark was a major part of that. So I think that that's probably part of it. And I also, I, like, he's never had any dominant, like, number seasons. He put up 13 sacks, 27 quarterback hits, which is great, but I don't know if I would put that over guys like Daniel Hunter or especially Cam Jordan, who is consistently good, career, 15 and a half sacks last season. Demarcus Lawrence, who gets overlooked because the Cowboys' defense is never very good. So I, I don't know if I would put Clark as high as he was, but you know what? I don't get to vote on these things. So Yeah, I, I wish they would enlist the Packaday podcast on, and give us each a vote on how to get this figured out. But yeah, this this top 10 was interesting because you talk about the mentions. Daniel Hunter was number 11. Zadarius Smith comes in at 12. Then you have Clowney, Matt Judon, uh, Yannick Ngakwe as well, as the honorable mentions. And and obviously since we're a Packers-centered group, with Zadarius, what will it take for him to jump into this top 10 if they do this list again next year? Because we, like we said, this is a loaded group. It, like All these guys are, are very good to great players, to Hall of Fame-level players. What does Z have to do in 2020 to jump into this top 10? I'd say, I think even if he had a season like he had last year, I think that's going to do a lot to get him into the list. Just consistently, or consistency, I think is a key thing. And then getting closer to maybe finishing with like 17 sacks, but also showing a little bit more in the run game. Um, He still was productive in the run defense, but even just maybe getting some more hits in the backfield. He had 17 tackle for losses, which is a career high for him, but doing that again maybe adding a couple more to that but i think the biggest area he can improve in is just run defense and if he does that i think he's a shoe in to get in i honestly i don't think he can make the list unless he blows up this year i think that 
he's going to run into the issue of he doesn't put up quite enough sacks. He doesn't do quite enough other things. He's not a, he's not a superstar on a bad defense. He's a star on a decent de- on an average defense. Like Demarcus Lawrence is a star on a bad defense, and we'll talk about other guys on that defense in a minute. But like Cam Jordan is a star on a average defense. So you have to be either a star on a bad defense or a superstar on a good defense. Like, T.J. Watt played on a loaded defense last year, but he was a superstar for them with production. And, like, Joey Bosa, like, it's this, it's this, like, recency, or it's not a recency bias, but it's, like, an anti-recency bias. Z had a better year last year than the majority of the guys on this list, but all these other guys have had either better, like, Von Miller had a down year last year, there's no doubt about it. And Z outperformed him in basically every category, but Von Miller has also been an elite edge rusher for, like, 10 years. So you're not going to just knock him off just because he has one down here, right? So I think that Z has to put up a superstar level year in order to actually crack this list next year, and it's really unfortunate. It sucks that there's so many good edge rushers in this league, and I think he should be on the list. But again, we don't get votes. You're going to see guys that have better name recognition, make more money or this or that, or play in a bigger market make the list yeah i'm yeah i'm with you guys on that so let's move on to linebacker because we're already going pretty long and heads up no one connected to the packers is on either on the top 10 list or the honorable mentions so damn we'll be with this one too fairly quickly so we had linebacker at number one bobby wagner i don't think there's any surprise there with the retirement of luke keekley that bobby wagner is the number one inside linebacker in the nfl but number two makes me happy because per we talked earlier about guys who are viewed as underrated. Levante David has quietly carved out an extremely productive career, but no one ever talks about him down in Tampa. And he has been, I think of London Fletcher when I think of Levante David, with just consistent, making a ton of tackles, making plays year in, year out, but not getting any recognition for it. And then Eric Kendricks comes in at number three, Darius Leonard at four, and Demario Davis at number five. So... Uh, you for you guys, what do you guys think of that top five list? Um, I think they definitely you can't go wrong with Wagner at one. That had to be the choice. And I know you mentioned already with Keekley retiring, and we mentioned this before the podcast started. I think this was the most accurate list that they put together. So I'm good with the people that they put in here. I personally would have ranked um, Darius Leonard over um, Eric Kendricks, but that's out of in the top five. That's the only switch I would make. I think just Darius. I like I live in Indiana. And I so I've watched a lot of Colts games over the last couple of years, and Darius Leonard's a freak, man. Like this dude's everywhere. They could, like he's called the maniac. This dude is literally all over the field, nonstop. And so I think I would have put him at three over Kendricks at four, but or and over Kendricks at three. But that's just me personally. And I'm trying to see if I can find this. There was a stat I saw the other day where Levante David actually has outdone Bobby Wagner in like 90% of the like major categories for linebackers in his career. And he's actually outdone Luke Keekley in a lot of categories, but he's also played on, like I mentioned, just in the edge rusher category, he's played on bad defenses and no one cares about a guy putting up good stats on a bad defense. The yeah, last time anyone cared about a Buccaneer linebacker since Derek Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Which is, which, which is sad for Levante. David. Okay. So here's the quit. Here's the, like the category. So it's Levante, David, Luke Keekley and Bobby Wagner. Games played, Levante David. Total tackles, Keekley with 1,092 over Levante David's 1,008. Solo tackles, Levante David, who has about 30 more. 
Tackles for loss, Levante David, with about 40 more. Sacks, 10 more than Luke Keekley. Interceptions, Luke Keekley wins that by 7. Passes defense, Luke Keekley wins that by 21. Notice I have not said Bobby Wagner won any category yet. Forced fumbles, Levante David with 21. Next closest, Keekley with 7. Fumble recoveries, 14. Luke Keekley, 9. Bobby Wagner, 9. Takeaways forced, 32. Luke Keekley had 25. Bobby Wagner, 15. So, Bobby Wagner has consistently played well, or played really, really well on a good defense. Levante David has played great on a bad defense. So, seeing him go at least second on this list, I think was extremely well-deserved. And if someone wanted to make the case for him at number one, I could see it. But I could also see Bobby Wagner because he's traditionally better in coverage. But it's not like Levante David is behind these guys by some massive chasm. No, you're right. And I think what helps Wagner is that he's kind of like the face of that defense now. And he's the he's he was kind of like the general in the middle of that Seattle juggernaut defense that they had. Yeah. But David, like I said, he's the London Fletcher of the current era. He's been so good for so long, but people don't know his name. And ho- hopefully seeing him up here will change that. Uh, the next five on the list, Deion Jones, Tremaine Edmonds, Jamie Collins, C.J. Mosley, and Fred Warner. Uh, the only one I could maybe think about, maybe Warner, because, War- again, another young player, we, we need. I want to see him do it again, over guys like uh, Jalen Smith, Leighton Vander Esch, Corey Littleton, Joe Schobert, Devin Bush, Zach Cunningham, and Roland Smith, the honorable mentions. I would like to see probably Jalen Smith maybe in place of Warner, because like we talked about Nick Bosa, can Warner do it again on a defense that did lose a little bit from last year? Like He, he was protected so well in San Francisco with that defensive line. Is that going to happen again this year? One, man, what's one your point? beef with the Ninja? What's your beef? Ninja <laughs> Warner, man. Come on now. That's super applicable to the football field. Come on. <laughs> what do you guys think okay, about man. uh no you're fine what do you guys think about jamie collins at eight i just i know he had a really good season he had a good he's good with the patriots but again he he's leaving the patriots and we saw what happened last time he left like is it just he's really good for their system and so he's a great patriot but he might not be a great like a top 10 linebacker everywhere else i think going to a team coach by brian flores a, for, a former belichick assistant can help Along with like Van Noy, because I think he's in Miami again, right? No, he's going to uh, he's going Detroit. to Patricia. Yeah, a different yeah. Patriots. Oh, Addy P. <laughs> so okay, then then maybe not. I've been wrong before. Uh, <laughs> I think because I'm not sure Patricia will make it through the season. Yeah. So then then I think you got a point because yeah, Collins struggled in Cleveland. He he was good in New England, but New England's let him now let him go twice for a reason. Yep. So that could be the case. You could be right there. But then you know, the guys behind him, uh, Mosley was hurt all last year. Jalen Smith's got injury issues. Uh, Roquan Smith's had some injury issues, and he's kind of underwhelmed. So it's... Lane Vander has had how, a big injury issue with his neck. Yeah. Like that's, like, that's not his first neck injury in his career, either. Like, he dealt with them in college as well, so... Yeah, and whereas we talked about how insanely deep the edge rusher group was, this one, this, this spot's not as deep. So I think uh, some, some of these guys are almost in there by default. Yeah, but it's 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 a very it's some some interesting questions. But I do think this list is pretty accurate, and it's probably the least controversial of the all the ones we have. Yeah, You're, just the one thing looking at the honorable mentions, and I'm I'm happy we got Christian Kirksey. I think he's going to be if he stays healthy a great linebacker. But just seeing Corey Littleton and Joe Schobert on here just makes you wish you kind of brought one of those guys in as well. Yeah, we can't have it all. Okay, we're not we're not allowed to have nice things. No wide receivers for you. No good linebackers. 
you will get a backup quarterback and a backup running back, and you will like it. <laughs> hey, when those guys carry to the Packers Super Bowl in 2025, we'll be happy. <laughs> I know. I, I know. I know. And every time someone asks me, because people know I'm a Packer fan, people are like, so how do you feel about the draft? And I'm like, I get why they did it. I just don't like it right now, okay? In five years, I will like it, but right now, I don't. No, I know. It was it was weird. Fair enough. Let's, mo- let's move on to the secondary. we got two more position groups left. We'll go to the corners here. Uh, number one, Stephon Gilmore. No shocks there. He Since he went to New England, he has just gotten himself better and cemented himself as the best corner of football. He was absolutely dynamic last year, and, and he is really the only guy in that defense that you have to worry about at this point. Alan Ramsey at two. I'm kind of surprised by that. I, th- I thought he had some up and down issues, and his departure from Jacksonville wasn't the greatest. But Trey White at three, I'm happy with. I, I Tredavious White, I think, is an underrated guy in Buffalo because he's in Buffalo, and nobody wants to be Trey there. White should but have been I, two. Those, I agree. I, but what are you guys' thoughts on those top three? I'm with what you guys both hinted at and Gaze just said. I think uh, White should have been number two. Uh, Ramsey's good, but also he's just a little inc- like he's talented and but he's just inconsistent. Um, I like I like White at two, but if Ramsey if Ramsey was three, I'd be good with that. I on, I looked at the rest of the list and there's not anyone else like maybe Marshawn Lattimore I would bump up, but I'm not bumping him over either of those top three guys because when Jalen Ramsey's on, he's He's on. He can match up with any receiver in the NFL, just like Trey White, just like Stephon Gilmore. Uh, the quote that's in here is one vo- veteran quarterback says that he's like Amari Cooper of corners, a supreme talent who just leaves you wanting more. And I agree with that. But Trey White brings you that every single week, so I would put him to Gilmore last year outside of getting mossed by Devontae Parker in Week 17. Gilmore was just shut down all year long. So I would, I'm okay with Gilmore one. I would put White at two, Ramsey at three, just because when Ramsey's on, he's on. There's no there's no way around it. So I like the top three as is. Yeah, I'm with you guys both. Uh, Trey White's two. He's the only guy I've seen who can take a flying elbow from Gronk and actually get better. <laughs> so I, th- I think good for him. Uh, the next few guys, Darius Slay at number four. Man, am I glad he's not in the NFC North anymore. Oh, God, yeah. Um, Marshawn Lattimore at five. Marlon Humphrey coming off an all-pro season at six. And Patrick Peterson at seven. Uh, so we'll go with those four guys. Uh, wh- what do you guys think of those rankings? And where would you where would you put Pat Peterson if he wasn't on the Cardinals his entire career? He he only had he was only targeted ninety no not ninety eight times. Um, I had it up here. I lost it. But he 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 gave a completion percentage of sixty seven percent. He's really good. I just I don't know. He's is he just a really good player on a bad defense? Is that is could that be Patrick Peterson, or do you think he'd be higher on the list if he was on a better defense? I personally think that Patrick Peterson is a better player than Darius Slay. Um, I think that he wasn't targeted last year because the corner opposite him is just so bad. Mm. Like, well, and not even necessarily so bad. He's just like, like Byron Murphy was good for a rookie corner last year, but like Pat Pete is one of the few corners that can cover even in the slot, and I respect that tremendously because, and that's one reason why I knock Darius Slay and I knock Richard Sherman. Like Darius Slay can shadow all over the field, but he doesn't always, but he doesn't go into the slot. Which in this age of teams constantly trying to get an advantage on offense and taking Devonte Adams and Julio Jones and all these other elite elite receivers and putting them in the slot, and you know that the number one corner is not going to go there, that's that's a, that's a weakness for your defense. 
I understand that that's not his game, and he's going to wipe out whoever's outside, but I need to know that my number one corner can go inside with a guy and will still cover him. And I, Pat Pete will do that. And if you told me that Pat Pete was five, like you just moved everyone up and you moved Darius Slay down to like six, and Pat Pete was five, I'd be okay with that. I This is just something that I've always had an issue with. If a corner wants to be a true shutdown corner and you want him to do shadow coverage like Darrell Revis and cover everywhere, you have to be able to go and cover the guy wherever he's at. Doesn't matter what side of the field he's on, what position he's lined up in. Go cover him. It's your job. Fair enough. So as we get to 8, 9, and 10, at number 8 in Baltimore, Marcus Peters, who rejuvenated his career in Baltimore after getting traded over there. Xavier Howard from Miami at 9. And Byron Jones coming in at number 10, now the highest-paid corner in football. Uh, what do you guys think? And am I the only one who thinks Marcus Peters probably shouldn't be in the top 10 right now? I was going to shouldn't. I don't think so. Okay. I was actually I was going to say I was going to say that too because with he revitalized his career in uh, with Baltimore. Like he did not have a good stint with the Rams, but part of it is he's playing with Earl Thomas now in that defense. He's going into a different system where he's I don't know, he's just part of the machine. I guess he's not really. I don't know. I'm looking at his last year. Like he gave up 14 receptions and Marquise Goodwin, uh, Muhammad Sanu, eight receptions, 93 yards. Robert Woods burned him for 98 yards. Emmanuel Sanders burned him for 84 yards. It's just I don't think he's a top top 10 corner. His personality. I think he's kind of with Ramsey too. Where like he has a great personality. He's outspoken. He. But I just I don't think he should be a top 10. I think he relies too much. On, he has safety help and I don't know. I could be wrong, but. I think that he's now in the perfect system. So the whole big issue with him throughout his career has been he will go for the like for the pick rather than going for the tackle. Like he's got more interceptions in he's got 27 picks in five years. Stephon Gilmore has 24 in eight seasons, and Pat Pete has 25 in nine seasons. So he's already got more picks than either of those guys, and he's played three less years than Gilmore and four than Peterson. But he's now in the perfect system. Like you said, he's playing with Earl Thomas now. He now can go make those gambles. And that's the entire reason why he's gotten paid money is because he's going to like he's gonna create turnovers. And in this league where it's all about getting the ball back to your offense, like that's the whole reason that Kansas City doesn't invest in their like doesn't invest in their defense. They're concerned about their offense and the defense is just trying to get stops. Like get stops, get the ball back. And Peters is gonna do that. He's going to go out, he's going to get picks, and he's going to get your offense the ball. And the more possessions the offense has, the better chance you have of winning the game. He's going to get burned. I don't like that. I don't love that he's going to get burned, but I do love that he's going to go get me at least five picks every single year just because he's going to go make those plays. And on those five picks, we like on the offensive side of the ball, we got to convert. Looking at the honorable mentions, I think Jair and Sherman have a case. And we'll- We'll talk about them in a minute. I also love Casey Hayward, but um, I can see taking Peters off the list. But at the same time, I also think that he is arguably the best on this list about like, getting the ball, getting stops for your team, and getting the ball back for your, for your offense. And I think that's why he's put in this high. I'm with you to an extent. I think Peters on this list... Because he does make those big plays, but also like what Jamie said, he, he does... When he makes those gambles and if he misses, it's... It's a lot of yards. Even with Earl Thomas, it's going to be a lot of big plays because Thomas will be so deep that he may not be able to recover in time enough with Peters. And that was his issue in Kansas City when he was there was that he would take those gambles and get torched with without Eric Berry behind him. So I think if you need an elite safety behind you, I think that dings you a little bit. 
But I, I agree with you also with the honorable mentions that you said, Gage, where Sherman and Jair could definitely make a case. They came in at 11 and 12 over guys like Howard and Jones. But also on the list was Denzel Ward, Casey Hayward, Joe Hayden, Kyle Fuller, J.C. Jackson, and Steven Nelson. And so, again, being Packer-centric, we'll talk about Jair, Jair Alexander a little bit here. What does he have to do to jump into this next this top 10 if they do this again next year? What, what kind of years does he have to have? to become a truly a top 10 elite corner? Uh, I think a big thing is getting his interceptions up. He had two last year. Uh, he was also targeted 98 times, which I think he's going to have to get that down. I think if you really want to be truly a shutdown corner, like you, I don't know, he just, there are so times he, where he's out of position and sorry, go ahead. No, no, no I was going to ask a quick question because I know you've had this number, these numbers pulled up the whole time. He was targeted 98 times. What was his catch percentage that he allowed? Do you have that? Uh, he allowed 55, which was at 57%. Okay. So, I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. So I just I just wanted to say that. I'm like, yeah, he was targeted 98 times, but if he allowed a catch on just like basically one out of every two targets, that's not bad. Yeah. I just want to see him get to the point where quarterbacks are not wanting to target him 98 times, which that's I know fair. it's not one quarterback. It's just getting that, I guess, that's reputation that's, around the league. Yeah, that's fair. I was just – I was curious about that factor because you can say, oh, this guy got targeted 100 times last year, but – he yeah. allowed five catches, so it's so it's kind of one of those. So I just wanted to see what the number happened to be. Thanks. Oh yeah, no for sure. And I I think he's I I think he's gonna take the next step. And I think a big way to do it is interceptions. I know I already said that, but I think last year too though he was in a lot of he was in position to make interceptions. He had he had quite. A, I could be wrong, but I'm I'm remembering quite a few drops from him that he he could have taken the other way, but. He did have 17 passes defense last year, so he got his hands on a lot of balls. He yeah. just doesn't always come down with them. So, yeah, I think that that's something he needs to do more of next year. Like if And if he's not going to like turn that into a ton of picks, maybe he's never going to be a hands guy that comes down with 10 picks like Charles Woodson. But if he if I can make sure that he's like getting like below 50% completion percentage, even if he's still getting targeted that high of a percentage of time, I, I, I can live with that. I can live with him getting targeted 100 times if he allows less than 50% completion and maintains high pass defense. And also, I love seeing him get his hands on the ball. He only had one forced fumble last year, but I would love to see just a compilation of him ripping the ball away from people. Yeah, I was going to say, that one forced fumble is pretty badass where he uh, ripped it out of, was it Noah Fant? Noah Fant, yeah, yeah it was Noah Fant. Yeah, he just took, he literally just took it from him. Yeah, tight end one, Noah Fant, yep. Well, that's a different <laughs> So as we continue, let's move on to the safeties, and this is one I'm looking forward to discussing. Uh, the number one safety listed is Jamal Adams. Whether he remains with the Jets through this, who knows? But he's number one, Harrison Smith at two, Minka Fitzpatrick at three, and Derwin James at number four. Uh, I personally would have Harrison Smith at one, because uh, I think he's one, he's done it for longer, and he is he was great when he came into the league, and he is not dropped off, I don't think. Adams, I think, would have it two, and then Minka. And Derwin James, I don't know, because he's missed half of his career now with an injury. So I think, much like we've talked about with other younger guys, I need to see more of it before I keep put him at as high as he is, but what are your guys' thoughts on the top four? Um, the So the main knock on Smith, like, in the voting, oh, everyone, because obviously this is projecting for 2020. Like, who would you rather, or how would you rank them heading into 2020? And the knock on Smith is that he's 31. Like, that's literally, that's the only negative thing that's said about him in his entire thing here, is that he's 
only 30 is there is that he's 31 versus obviously jamal adams is 24 i can understand wanting to put harrison smith there he's great in pass coverage uh great in run defense he's just he's great all over the field so but if i'm gonna knock him down just because of age i can understand that especially considering he's basically six and a half years older than jamal adams i think minka's really high up here but i think that that's mostly because he's like he j- kind of like marcus peters he generates a lot of picks and a lot of turnovers and I don't know if I would have put him that high. Plus, he's already complaining about his role in Pittsburgh. He wanted traded out of Miami because he didn't like the way they were using him. And then he went to Pittsburgh, and they used him a different way, and he didn't like that, and then he doesn't want to be in Pittsburgh anymore. Dude, just play play the damn game. Yeah, that's not a good look for someone to get, especially because it didn't even seem like he just revitalized or like turned his season around. It seemed like he was a key reason the Steelers' defense kind of took that next step, even though they have other pieces on the team that were really dominant too. But uh, I'm with you that Derwin James, I think, is too high on this list. I think someone that's injured so much, or not so much, he's, I mean, this is, he's going into his third year, correct? Yeah, third year. So, like, yeah, he missed the whole season already. Like, I don't think you can base off something that happened two years ago and you don't know how he's going to come back from his injury to say he's the fourth best safety right now. What was his injury? Does anybody remember? I think it was something with his foot. Was that a? Yeah, it was a lower. It was lower body. Was it? it well, I, I it was. Oh, it was a stress fracture in his fifth metatarsal. Really, that caused him to miss the entire year. Jeez, I knew it was lower body. I just couldn't remember what it was because I was like, if it's an Achilles injury, I'm really nervous about it. But if it was like depending on what it was, I was a little less concerned. I think it's one too where like they just they saw how the season was going and didn't want to risk a re-injury on something that could. Since he's so young. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I I personally like Derwin James at four just because I don't know who behind him I would put ahead of him. Like, that's that's my whole big thing here is that's fine. If you want to move him, who would you put above Derwin James then if you wanted to move him down? I'd move Byard up. Kevin Byard? Okay. Because uh, he's – you talk about a guy who took advantage of playing on a bad defense, but with what Byard did in the back end of that Tennessee group – he, they're a very average secondary with him. Without him, they are basically the 2011 Packers. Like it's, they, he is a guy who makes such a big impact. And even Honey Badger, with what with the impact that he, he's bounced around, but with the impact that he always makes out there, you have to watch where that little guy is going. So I think with him, I think both those guys could be above Derwin right now because I think, I think they're a little more proven than Derwin James. But again, safety not this most deep group especially when you're mixing both strong and free in this list. But it, it's it's interesting to f- so much value how they put on if you're younger, you're going to re-ranked higher, which is going back to the Harrison Smith thing. Especially in at safety spot, I don't, I'm not sure that it's as big of a factor if you're playing free or strong safety. Can we talk about the fact that Tyron Matthews has seemingly been in the league for a decade and he's still only 28? I was just thinking that when I saw he was 28, I was like, I feel like he should be in his mid 30s. That's this what guy. I was thinking when I saw JJ Watt earlier. Like JJ Watt yeah. is 31, and I'm like, how? How are you 31 years old? You have been in the NFL since I was born. But yeah, Tyron Matthew is great. Um, I was just curious because I was like, if you want to move Derwin down, that's fine. But I wanted to see where you had him. I think Matthew is the perfect example of just let him do what he does. Like. I talked to uh, Tyler about this last week, and I was on another like meeting podcast thing earlier this week where I was like, just don't force a guy to do something that he doesn't want or isn't good at. Like Matthew, the Chiefs' defense is basically like, just go make plays. 
Like, we, we're not going to ask you to do anything specific. Just go out there, make plays on the ball, and make stuff happen for us. And he does that. He's not elite in deep coverage. He's good at just messing around around the line of scrimmage. He is what... I think he's a good example of what Jamal Adams should aspire to be. Just, like, he's uh, Jamal Adams is going to be bulkier. Like, Adams is going to work around the line of scrimmage a lot, but he can just, just go out and make plays for us and will be happy with you more often than not. Do you think... Uh... Honey Badger's the only person coming off a Super Bowl win who didn't have who wasn't ranked ridiculously high. Like for the well, list, his his lowest ranking was off the ballot. So I think that that like I think that he didn't get a ton of Super Bowl bias compared to the other guys that we've talked about today. Yeah. Um, and thinking back to last week when I did this with Tyler, the only person on like the 49ers or the Chiefs that really got any excess pub was uh like george kittle was ranked really high uh, i think mike mcglinchey was an honorable mention but they didn't really so i think the, it was mostly on the defensive side of the ball that you had guys getting this super bowl glow super bowl like bump so i think that matthew might have been not getting a ton of pub but at the same time justin simmons was really good last year um eddie yeah. jackson is a one of the only free true free safeties in the nfl uh, and then Buda Baker is literally the younger version of, of Tyron Matthew. So I think that he is exactly where he should be. If you wanted to move him up above and then Derwin James down to six, you can make that argument. But it's not like I w- it's not like I'm going to put him at four. I'd put Kevin Byard above him still. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, I'm with you. And so you just listed uh, seven through nine: Justin Simmons, Eddie Jackson, Buda Baker, Micah Hyde comes in at number ten. Love it. And and again, <laughs> Packer fans weep everywhere. Yeah. Uh, honorable mentions, Jimmy Ward, Landon Collins, Earl Thomas, Devin McCourty, who has been in the league forever, and Anthony Harris, who is franchised by the Vikings. And I, I knew he was going to be in the top ten, but I would have liked to see at least honor, maybe an honorable mention for Adrian Amos, because consistency is so valued from that safety spot. And he, he's Amos isn't, isn't going to make the big splashy plays, but the value that a guy like that brings to a team where we see that with Devin McCourty, who brings that consistency and that stability to New England secondary, I think would have been worth at least mentioning. So I, I think the biggest thing for me as far as the, how the Packers go is having Adrian Amos at least be mentioned for what he can do to solidify a secondary. I was talking to Tyler about this last week. We were talking about guys we thought might get mentioned, and when I met, when we got to safety, I was like, Amos should be mentioned as an honorable mention player. I was like, he's not going to make the top ten. He just doesn't make, he doesn't make enough splash plays. He does. He is the definition of a high floor player. He is going to make the right play nine times out of ten. He's going to be in the right position. He can match up against uh, tight ends, safeties, or tight ends, slot corners, or slot receivers, whatever. He can do everything you want him to do. He's just never going to put up super high gaudy stats. And I think that that's the only reason he's not going to be mentioned on here. Anthony Harris had a crazy year last year. Devin McCourty plays for New England, which had 17 players mentioned today. Earl Thomas is – the fact that he's not in the top ten was kind of surprising. But yeah. but at the same time, I kind of get it, considering last year was the first time he played an entire season in, like, six years. Landon Collins, um, I was surprised to see him as, like, 12 because he – I feel like he got a lot of pub when he was in New York, and then as soon as he went to Washington, I just I don't hear about him, and that just because it could be because it's a bad defense. And Jimmy Ward getting some uh, getting some notice. I think that that might be a better example of a guy 
who's getting that Super Bowl glow. Like him and Jaquiski Tart were talked about nonstop throughout the playoffs last year. Yeah. Going back to Amos, I th- you guys are completely right. I honestly would be surprised if he's never really he never really cracks the top ten. Um, you would or would not be? I would not be. Okay. Like, yeah. So yeah, I, I was just I wanted to make sure. Yeah. In other words, I would be surprised if he cracked the top 10, even just like in his career, because he just seems like he's always going to be someone, you guys already said this multiple times, he's not going to make the huge plays, but he's going to make the right plays. He's always going to be in the right spot, and I think he's just going to be the definition of the glue guy on that defense, especially in a young secondary. With Tremont, with Tremont leaving, or right now not being on the team, I think that's his role for the defense too next year is just... He's a really he's a really good culture guy, and I don't think those players are really going to make the list. Yeah, I'm with you. I, with the with the way the safety spot goes, if you're not going to make those flash plays, you're not going to be getting a ton of recognition. And I I am with Gage 100. I think Jimmy Ward is the Super Bowl push, getting him as high as he did because I think he kind of washed out as a corner, goes to safety, and now he's viewed much more highly. And and so I I, I think I would probably would put put McCordy at 11 and Thomas at 12 for honorable mentions because. McCordy's that guy who's been consistently, and he's now at this point he's the ultimate patriot with with uh, Tom Brady gone. So McCordy's kind of that guy. But I but otherwise I think this list is pretty solid. And so we those are your top tens at at interior defensive line, edge rusher, linebacker, corner, and safety. It's it's an interesting list. Uh, one Packer rank as Kenny Clark as the number ten defensive lineman. Zedarius Smith as an honorable mention corner, Jair Alexander, or honorable mention at Jair Alexander, honorable mention corner. And that's it for Packers being ranked on defense. Hopefully we'll see some growth this year and and some maybe some guys on these lists next year going forward in 2021. But with that being said, we'll start to wrap things up here. And Jimmy, will go to you first. Uh, where can people find you? What are you working on? Um, people can find me at Jimmy underscore C08 on Twitter. I'm on other places too, but that's just pictures of my daughter. Uh, anywhere else is just family stuff. So for Packer stuff, it's all Twitter. Uh, right now, I am talking with uh, Josiah DeGuerra on Sunday, and then I have my second part of my Jamal Williams interview coming out next week, talking to Aaron Jones next week, and then hopefully Raven Green and Orrin Burks are in the work. So just continue my uh, player interview series and try and get out as many pieces on them as possible. Awesome to hear. Engage. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at gbridgefordnfl, uh, B-R-I-D-G-F-O-R-D, no E. Um, I am working on some stuff for Dynasty Nerds. I believe I have a mock draft coming out next Wednesday for the Dynasty Draft Room. Um, I put out con- generally two articles a week for the Denver Stiffs. I'm constantly putting out film stuff for next year's draft class. It, it, you name it, I'm probably working on it. Uh, right now, I'm keeping really busy with uh, the fact that I can't really go outside. I go to work every day, but um, I'm generally still doing other stuff. Um, you, if you go on my Twitter feed, there will be content there from me or someone else. Uh, I'm always wi- and I'm always willing to talk about literally any sport, any team, not just Packers. I'll do talk about anything you want. That was great. And you can find me on Twitter at Mike Wentland, W-E-N-D-L-A-N-D-T, and it's all one all one word, no underscores or spaces. Oh uh, yeah, find me talking about any sport really going on right now. With baseball back, I am beyond over the moon. Uh, and I'll talk basketball, hockey, football, even NASCAR if you want me to as well. So just find us there. Also find us wherever podcasts are found. 
whether it's Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, find the Packet Day Podcast. Give us a like, give us a comment, give us a subscription, let us know what we're, how we're doing. And also find us on Twitter at Packet Day Podcast and, and follow through that all of our great uh, colleagues and tr- contributors here as well. So again, every day more Packet Day content. And for Jimmy Christensen and for Gage Bridgeford, this is Mike Wendland saying so long, everyone. Stay safe, always carry the G, and go Pack Go. Go. <laughs>